In Parshas Kisovo, we have the Parsha of the Tochacha, which of course is introduced with blessings, just like Parshas Buchukosai. Both Parshas Buchukosai, Parshas Kisovo, both begin with blessings if you do the mitzvahs, and then the curses if you do not. So just first by way of introduction. We have the Pasuk here right before Shishi, where it says that if you listen to the words of Hashem, you do the mitzvahs, all of the blessings will come, will, will overtake you. You'll be blessed wherever you go, in the city, in the fields, your cattle, your flocks, your children. Baruch ato b'voecha, Baruch ato b'teisecha. You know, starting a new year, coming up Rosh Hashanah, and we all daven, we all pray, we all daven, we want blessings for ourselves. What exactly is the blessings, and what should be our, what should be our outlook into what we want for blessings? How do we view blessings? What kind of blessings do we actually want? What does it mean, Baruch Baruch What does that mean? So Rashi brings down, just as you come into the world without blemish, you come into the world like a newborn babe, sinless, pure, innocent, pure as the driven snow, as they say, right? Virginal. You should leave the world the same way. You should leave the world without any sin. Rashi is making the comparison between when you come into the world, be blessed, and you leave the world, be blessed the same way. What does it mean, though, to be coming into the world being blessed? After all, if you're coming in without sin anyway, what exactly is the bracha that you want in this world? So let's take a look at the... Um, well, you know what? No, l- l- let's point out a few more problems here, a few more questions. The beginning of Parshas Kisavo deals, of course, with Bikurim. Bikurim is first fruits. You bring it to the base of Migdash. You then recite passages, specific passages. In fact, those specific passages that you recite when you bring Bikurim become the the heart of the of the Haggadah. All of the Haggadah centered around darshaning the Psukim that we have in this week's parsha by Havos Bikurim because you're there are really encapsulating all of Jewish history. That's what the the Kriya of Parshas Bikurim is, where the Jewish farmer comes to the base of Mikdash and he and he reviews and he encapsulates the entire Jewish history from the beginning to going down to Egypt till the Exodus. And this is a way of giving thanks to Hashem. It's a means of demonstrating Hakor Satov, gratitude to Hashem for not only himself personally that he has that he has fruits, but for the Jewish people collectively, for all that they've been through and all that they've come through. And we started off from rags to riches as a nation, not only individually, but collectively as well. After Parshas Bikurim, we have another Parsha of Vidui Meiser. Meiser, of course, was given on a yearly basis. Tithes, there's a number of different kinds of tithes that you gave Meiser. Meiser Rishon given to the Levi, Meiser Oni, Meiser Sheni. And there's a special vidui that's that's said when you that when you come to um, to say how you fulfilled all of your obligations. And after you fulfill your obligations for mitzvah, you say the vidui, it ends off the following pasuk right before shlishi. It's a pasuk that you may be familiar with. 
Hashkifa min min hashamayim. Hashkifa. What does Hashkifa mean? Look, you may be familiar with the word Hashkifa from Hashkafa. Uh, Mishkafayim, exactly. Mishkafayim are glasses. In modern Hebrew, Mishkafayim are glasses. Hashkafa is your outlook. Your outlook, your perspective, your philosophical outlook, your ideological outlook. But you have a hashkafa, the way you view things. It's your worldview, your waltanshang, as they say. It's the way you view the world. So, but again, it's not the normal way of actually using the word to look. You know, there's other ways of saying it. Re'e, habet. We use the word habet to look from habota. Histakel, histaklos is to gaze. Habotas to look. Re'e is to look to see. Why does the word hashkifa used over here? Now, does anybody else remember where else the word hashkifa or a similar derivation is used in terms of looking as well? Who knows? What? By Avram, exactly. It says, Vayashkifu al Sedom. In fact, it says it, I believe, there twice. If you look in Parshas Vayera, it says, Vayakumu mishom anoshim, the angels arose, Vayashkifu al Sedom. And they set their eye, they set their sights on Sodom, to go to Sodom, to destroy it. Later on, at the end of the story, it says the same thing. It says um, that after Lot's wife became a pillar of salt, page 42, he looked at Sodom. So what does it mean? He set his sights on Sodom. What? From there, Chazal learned that the word hashkofa is used, although it means to look, but it generally connotes a negative looking. In other words, you're setting your sights on it. Okay, I'm going to take care of them once and for all. I'm going to destroy them. That means that the angels set their sights about their task at hand to destroy Sodom. That means when we ask and we say, look, and habait, is takel, it's neutral or positive connotation. Hashkifa, though, is negative. Hashkifa means look down very strictly, very severely, very harshly, look down in a negative, scrutinizing way. Why would we say that? Why would we use, employ the word hashkifa when we're asking for a prayer by Hashem to look at us, to bless us? Hashkifa mimon kotshechom in Hashemayim. Look down from your holy abode in heaven. Bless the Jewish people. Bless the land that you gave us, just like you promised us a land flowing with milk and honey. We're asking for Parnosa. Who wants to say Hashkifa? We want God to be stingy. We're saying Hashkifa, look down at us, bless the people, bless the land, like you promised to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. We want prosperity. What is the Hashkifa? Look down in, in such a critical, negative way. Rashi adds to the word Hashkifa, We've done what we have to, we've done our part. Therefore, you likewise, I say, you do what you promised, what you promised us in You said that if we do the mitzvahs, again, is a parsha that deals with blessings. If you do the mitzvahs, if you go in my ways, I'll give you prosperity. That's the whole, all the blessings of Bukhukosai deal with wealth and prosperity. That's the next Rashi. Let's take a look at one more Rashi just one more problem 
The next pasuk. Hayom hazeh, this day, Hashem elokech mitzav v'cholas as hachukim u'ele v'samishpatim. God commanded you to do the statute with shomar to v'asisa. You shall guard them, observe them, v'asisa, and you shall perform them. Do them. The next pasuk by Shlishi, back on page four ninety four. The shomar to v'asisa some you will observe them diligently. and you will do them. So Rashi makes a rather strange comment based on the Medrash here. Because this Pasuk is placed in proximity with the with Bikurim and with Meiser. So the um, in other words, not all, they understand this Pasuk to be referring not only to the totality of all the laws but something very specific about Bikurim. So what does it mean Bishamar to Vasisa? When a Jew brings Bikurim to the base of Migdash, a baskol, mevorchosa, a baskol emanates and blesses him. Hevesa Bikurim Hayom, you brought Bikurim today, Tishana L'Shanabo, you should be able to bring it again next year. Everybody when the Sefer Torah comes by on Simchas Torah, and that's the whole Rosh Hashanah Yom Narorim theme is next year, next year as well. We should be able to repeat it again next year. That's something else. But we're in effect saying, we want life for another year. Next year, we should be able to likewise be able to kiss the Sefer Torah. That's really what this blessing over here is. Next year, you should be able to bring Bikurim again. Bring Bikurim again next year. The problem, of course, with that is, I mean, if the Basco, it's one thing when we say and we ask for a blessing. We may or may not live but if the Baskal says, oh, you brought Bikurim, next year you'll bring Bikurim again. It's pretty good, you'll live forever. And the Baskal keeps saying, next year you'll do it. Baskal is a Baskal. Who argues with the Baskal? Every time you bring Bikurim, next year you'll bring, oh, keep going on forever and ever. You'll be able to uh, bring Bikurim. So you'll live forever. So you have a number of, of questions here. In benching, we bench and we say three basic blessings. And we end off benching, not that whole last section of, of, of the benching of Birchas Hamozen is not really part of the Birchas Hamozen. Starting from the Horach Hamon, they're merely prayers that we say, this to that, and we're asking, we're beseeching Hashem. But the main blessing, benching is a mitzvah in It's unique amongst the mitzvahs in the fact that none of the brachas that we recite on a daily basis are midiraisen, except maybe two. Brachas that we recite on a daily basis are not really midiraisa. Birchas Torah is, is an exceptional point for many Rishon. That is a bracha midiraisa. But Birchas Hanen, we already pre-agof and shakol and yevet voraham, otzilachem in the arts. All the Birchas Hanen, certainly, and the other brachas, shvach v'odah, are also all midirabonim. Birchas benching for, on the Torah, that, that may be different. But even that's not clearly stated in the Torah, it's only learned in Pasha's Hazinu, Kishem Hashem Ekrov, go to Lelo Kego, whatever. The only blessing that is Midaris is the blessing that we say after we eat, after we eat from the seven species, which is Birchas HaMosen, or Aamichyo. Those are the only brachas that are Midaris. It ends off, the last words of the Birchas HaMosen's three blessings, is Virachamim, V'chaim, V'shalom, Right? Everybody knows what that means. Rachamim, Bachayim, Bishalom, Bukhal Tov. And all good things we're asking. Umikol Tov and from all good things, Laolam Ayachasrain. So 
maybe you didn't think of it before, but as I was saying it now, you probably thought of it. Sounds a little bit redundant. What is the repetition? All good. And we want all good. But, but from all good, never let us lose, never let us be deficient from. What does Hasreinu mean? Don't, don't make us lack. In other words, don't take away, don't let us lack any of the good things. From all good things, forever. Don't diminish it from us. What is this repetition? So let's now take a look at the Ksav Seifer. Because he basically uses the similar approach, although these are three separate pieces, but he uses a very similar approach to answer these three areas and then some as well, as we shall see. As we've said already from Rashi, just as you came, you should go, your Yitzhiya, your Bia, you're coming to the world, your going should be without sin. He says now his pshat. He brings down from the Medrash. The Medrash Dorish Odalzeh, Ukvar Perish Dovid. The Medrash says, yeah, you know, we have a similar Pesach in Tehillim. Hashem Yishmor Hashem shall guard your goings and your comings may after from now vad olam and forever. So we very often find very parallel themes and psukim that almost mirror psukim in the Torah. That's what the Medrash points out, how this Pasuk in Tillam really seems to mirror this Pasuk. says the Ksav Seifer, what is Pshat in this Pasuk? V'nirli alpi mashari isi b'haflo al Haflo was the Rebbe of his father. His father, the Ksav Seifer. Shemefarish hanusach den birchas amozen. We say in birchas amozen. V'rachamim v'chayim v'sholom v'chol tov. What is the v'chol tov v'chol tov repeated? So he says a beautiful pshat, because If things are working out too good for you in this world, the Gemara says if you have 40 days of non-stop good things, nothing's missing. You got to start being scared. Because it says, Mishalim l'soyin l'valponov Hashem pays back those that he that he hates to their faces. In other words, in this world, everybody does good things. I mean, nobody's totally bad. So the people that Hashem doesn't like, or the people that don't deserve Olam Habo, or for that matter, if you ask the people themselves, what do they want out of life? They're not interested in the next one. They say, give it to me here. You know, the common expression, no, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a smaller kezayis of the Leviosin. Uh, let me have it over here. So, so the Leviosin, I'll wait, I'll take a smaller piece in the next world so people say they want it in this world so the truth is wicked people you're basically doing for them what they actually want they want reward in this world they don't want reward in the next world but what's the next world all about well if you're an Arab it's 80 virgins per, per person but if you're a Jew sitting and learning you know a lot of people say it's okay I'll take it in this world and take my medicine in this world so the truth is the Russia wants it in this world and you're giving it to him in this world but besides that he doesn't deserve the eternity his mitzvahs are all focused for this world his reward is in this world so the uh, Gemara tells us that if things are going too good what's called bad you reach into your pocket and you 
go ouch, you know, you, you actually prick, you prick yourself once in a while. It also means that Hashem is still looking at you and seeing that, uh, making sure that you're not getting too far afield. But if things go too well, you got to start worrying. You know, we talked before, Rebchanin ben Dosa. What was the case of Rebchanin ben Dosa? So it's remarkable, Rebchanin ben Dosa was this great miracle worker who was sinless, blemishless. I mean, he's able to take the risk of having his foot bitten by a poisonous uh, reptile. And he wasn't worried that he's going to die. By him, vinegar burns the same way oil burns by the rest of us. He would daven, his prayers were always answered. In fact, he was usually able to predict after his prayers if someone's going to live or die. How did he base it? He says, if I find that the prayer goes smooth, it means that it's accepted and it's and the person's going to live. But if I find that I'm stumbling and it's it means that uh, they're telling me something, that the person is not going to make it. And his prayers were always answered. See, everybody used to come to him and ask for Parnassah. And he prayed for everybody. He said before about doing, uh, you know, business deals, you know. The truth is, you might be able to do for someone else, not for yourself. He was poor. He was the poorest person around. Other people, we had the story with the, with the uh, goats, right? Right. He finds uh, so, some eggs. Eggs turn to chickens. Chickens turn to goats. The guy comes back from his little eggs. He took his investment. That's what it is, right? You know, you say, invest in the market with me. And we invest in the market, and it skyrockets. The guy makes investment. If he can turn a chicken into a hen, and a hen into a goat, it's a pretty good trick. He enriched somebody else. How come he himself was so poor? He was very poor. And his wife finally bothered her, and she says, you know, everybody else has it. And we live on bucks, that's what they lived on, I mean, carobs. Nowadays it's a health food, it's considered a health food, but, but to live on carob, raw carobs, not, you still want to go out sometimes to that pasta place or something. But in any case, so finally he davens for his wife, says, miracle happens and the golden leg comes out of heaven. And she has a dream that night. Of course the dream was very, you know how to do it, but not everybody has four legged tables and all on top of books. Then you're missing a leg, you can still readjust the three legs. Then you only start off with three legs on your tables in Olam Habo. And there's missing one leg. It was rather wobbly. So she says, you know, if that's the case, I don't want to take it back. She says, it's not so easy to give it back. It's much easier f- to receive from heaven than to have and take it back. But I'll try anyway. They tried, they took it back. What's the moral of the story? Obviously, the intent of the story is that sometimes, you know, people are destined, they have, if you're not destitute and you work and you work and you schlep and you schlep and you schlep, and you finally get it out, all you've done is you pull the table leg off of your Olamaba table. That's what you've done with it. So it's, it's, it's a very scary thing. You know, are you destined to what you're having? Or are you just forcing God's hand and you, okay, you really insist, here, take the table leg. And you just pulled your table leg off of it. Can you imagine the furniture you're going to have then? Used furniture doesn't, no, Olamaba doesn't go too well. So he says, therefore, a person has to start being scared. If everything's going good for you here, then what are you missing over there? What table leg are you missing there? Lochain says the hafla beautiful pshat in the benching. The vakshim, what do we pray for in, in our benching? Lochain the vakshim verachamim v'chaim v'shalom v'chol tov. That's what we pray to Hashem. We want mercy, we want life, we want peace and prosperity and all good things. We're talking about this world. Who? But now, but we don't want to lose over there. 
So we say that umikol tuv la'olam ayichasreni. But from all the good that's predestined la'olam for the future world, al yichasreni. We don't want it to diminish. Which, by the way, that makes a great deal of sense as to why not all prayers are always answered. Idavi idav, what's happening to it? Because in effect, that's part of what your tefillah is. You you still want the right thing for you. You you want a lot of good things, but but you want the right thing. So he's saying but I don't want it to diminish from your olam haba. So perish Don't take away. Don't let us lack from the good that is destined for the next world. Elu these are the holy words of the Baal HaFloh. Then he says like this, That's Now you can see what the ultimate blessing is over here as well. She says, You enter without sin, you should leave without sin. It's much more than that. You, you're asking for life in this world, Olam Habba, Olam Haza, you want peace, wealth, prosperity. But you want it to be in such a way that you should be blessed through your journey in this world that when you leave, you still have that same peckle that's awaiting you in Olam Habo. You don't want to lose out on it. You should be blessed and have a good life in this world. You should be able to come into this world with no pain, no suffering. We wish every child comes into this world. You should come into this world and not have to live a life of pain and suffering. You should have peace, tranquility, prosperity, and wealth. This is the part that a lot of people forget. When you leave the world, you should be blessed. You should have a spiritually rich life as well. And it shouldn't be lacking for you in the next world as a result. That's what Dovra Melech says. Hashem Yishmor. Hashem should guard and protect your coming and your going perish you should have it from now it should be good in this world from now in this world beautiful pshat and now he puts together this posik with the benching and with the pastor can tell him that it's really all saying the same, that the same import to it. What you're saying is that let not the good things that happen in this world diminish from what, what we deserve in the next world. Let's not use up our table legs. Let's not take away our table legs. It should still be nice furniture in the next world. But we wouldn't mind a marble table in this world either. But that marble table in this world shouldn't take away from our golden table legs there. Now already we can understand the next piece. I reverse the order of the Ksav Seifer for our purposes. Hashkifa mimayn kotshecha. So most of you apparently are not aware of what the Medrash comments on this. The Medrash already points out, getting back to that Pasuk of Hashkifa. Look down at us from your holy abode. Bless us with a land flowing with milk and honey. Bless the land. And let's give us prosperity. Or as Rashi says, we did our part, you do your part. You said that if we keep the mitzvahs, you'll provide us with prosperity and wealth, as it says in Bukhukosai Peilechu. Why is the word hashkifa used, which is a negative one? So the Medrash says, a very famous Medrash, 
Many of you are familiar with the concept of the Medrash, although you may not be familiar that the Medrash says it over here. G'dayla Tzedakah. How great is the power of Tzedakah. Shemahapechas midas hadin l'rachamin. That we, that is able to convert the, the attribute of judgment, midas hadin, l'midas harachamin, to an attribute of mercy. This, by the way, of course, is the entire is the entire prayer of reading what Rosh Hashanah is all about. The key to Rosh Hashanah is this concept. That's why we blow the shofar. Rosh Hashanah is not a day of mercy. Not at all. Rosh Hashanah is not considered to be a day of mercy. It's considered to be judgment day. Judgment day requires that you've got to take inventory. You don't go to court and start a trial and throw yourself at the mercy of the court and ask for it. It has to be judged. Judgment means objective, detached judgment. And that means that's did which punishment would then be meted out as well. Yom Kippur is something else. Yom Kippur is already mercy. That's Yom Kippur. But Rosh Hashanah is inventory time of creation. As such, it's inventory, and therefore it's judgmental. And we blow the shofar. Hashem gave us the shofar. We're not going to discuss why this is the case. But the power of the shofar is to somehow come and approach God in the middle of His judgment and convert everything to mercy. How do we know that? That's one of the, when you say the seven times, you say the Mizmar, before the blowing of the shofar, so there's a very key posik there, which is why we say the entire Mizmar. One of the reasons why we say the entire Mizmar is the middle posik. Allah Elohim Bisrua. Hashem has, I mean, literally it means God was, rises with the trumpet blast. Hashem Bekol Shofar, the Lord in the sound of the shofar. It was like a coronation. When you do coronations, you have what they call the, the fanfare, the heralding of the king's coming. So you blow the trumpets, and the king comes in, sits down on his throne, and by sitting down on his throne, he's now in the coronation. He is king. Now he's going to sit and judge. However, the Pasuk very carefully says, Allah Elohim Bisruah. Elohim goes up in coronation with the sound of the Truah. Hashem Bekol Shofar. Hashem with the sound of the shofar. Say Chazal. The power of the shofar is to take God off, so to speak, from the throne of judgment and places Him on the throne of mercy. Hashem removes Himself, Allah Elohim, judgment. It's Hashem, and it converts to Hashem, the call shofar and the sound of the shofar. So really the essence of what we're really praying for, why we do the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, is to make this kind of a conversion. To go from Midas Hadin to Midas Harachman and to deserve it somehow or other. Gedoyla Tzedakah. How great is the power of Tzedakah? Shema Pechas Midas Hadin le Midas Harachman. That Midas Hadin is converted to Midas Harachman. The Hashkofa Bechol Mokum Lero. The word Hashkifa, Hashkofa at all places is usually to look at it in a negative way, for evil. All of a sudden, here it's used for blessing. So you see that the power of tzedakah is so great that by bringing the Bikurim and the Miser, that you're able to say to Hashem, Hashkifa Mimon and bless us. Look down, Hashkifa with the looking down, but it's going to still change it to the tzedakah. That's the plain, simple meaning of the Medrash. The Ksav Cypher is going to expand on that. But the plain, simple meaning of the Medrash is that power of tzedakah is so great that the hashkifa turns good 
Even though Ashkifa generally means looked down negatively, but Sadok has the power of converting even the Hashkifa Midas Adin to Midas Arachnu. Shrektik Sav Seifer. You know, the Pashim Shat we have, we understand the concept. But how does it really fit in over here? We're, 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 why is it starting off bad? What's the Midas Adin? The guy just did mitzvahs. He did Bikurim, Meiser. Where does the Hashifa even begin that we have to say, ooh, take a look, Hashifa converts? I mean, where is it? Are we asking for bad? What's the Hashkifa? Talk about the Why? Why even make mention of the Hashkifa, which is bad, if they did what they're supposed to? Maybe you'll be cool. Gam love What exactly does it mean that it converts the bad to the good? What exactly is the bad that's being converted to the good? Says the Ksav Seifer again, a very beautiful shot, but it's the same theme, except now we expand on it a drop more. Or we'll expand on him and drop more. Venerally, he We should realize wealth, prosperity, money, good things in this world is a curse to man. For two reasons, on two counts. One, as we've said before, as we said earlier, that uh, if we're going to remove our table leg and use it up over here, it's not a good thing. So therefore, it would be a curse for a person to use up his credit and to squander it all on, on, on meaningless things. So really, one has to really view wealth and showering of material wealth as a possible curse. But more than just a possible, a probable curse. The gam. Furthermore, there's another problem. You tend to kick. It comes from the Pesach. Vayishman Yishurun Vayivot Pasukin Hazinu, where it says that as soon as a person becomes fat and lazy, he kicks, he rebels. Vayishman Yishurun Klal became fat, he became just like covered up with blubber, and he says you don't care anymore, you know you're just out of it, and you kick, you rebel, you're not interested, you know you don't want to hear anymore. Vayishman Yishurun Vayivot. So good things tend to be cause a person to rebel against Hashem. You know, it's interesting. This idea. You, you know, you know where we actually have this idea actually expressed by benching. Why by benching? It's interesting. I pointed out earlier that benching is uh, the only bracha that's mandated in the Raisa. Yet, benching, strangely enough, is the bracha that you say after you eat. Logically speaking, one would assume that the bracha should be the one you do, the one you do before you, before you eat. You ask Hashem. I mean, the world belongs to Hashem. We need, we need things from Hashem. You know, it's funny. By going, they say the grace, what they call grace, is before they, eat. Yeah, before you eat, to realize it comes from Hashem. We thank, we ask Hashem, and that's the way, that's the way the. Um, that most people would understand. So really it should be the reverse. The other brachas, should be the derise and the benching, okay? Yeah, we thank Hashem, you know, it's please and thank you. No, 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 it's hard to say what's more important, please or thank you. What? Before you eat, you wouldn't know if you were True, but, but, but the idea conceptually, first of all, you only make a bracha when you have it in front of you. You'll only do it then, because otherwise it's the problem, as you were saying, of bracha But conceptually, it makes more sense to to ask of Hashem for food, which is what a blessing would imply, 
or to appreciate it's coming from Hashem, then after you're eaten and, and it's gone, you've eaten already. I mean, then it's out of sight, out of mind. The truth is, if you look in the Torah itself by the process of benching, you know, based on the way we're saying, I could develop a kind of a theme as to how the parsha of benching is actually laid out. Before Shani, let's start from the beginning of the chapter, I'll take some highlights. Parsha's Ekev, beginning of Perches. It says over there, you should do the mitzvahs. Remember the way that you came for these 40 years. Hashem was testing you, challenging you to see if you'll keep the mitzvahs. He made you hungry, or he afflicted you rather. And he made you hungry. And he gave you the man to show you that man doesn't live by bread alone, he lives by the word of Hashem. And it says that all of the suffering that you had on this whole way, Hashem was challenging you, testing you, that you should grow, grow spiritually. Now you're going to come to the land, and then it says the seven species, that's where we learn how the benching is. And the Pasuk right before Shani is, you'll eat, you'll be satiated, and you should bless Hashem. After you eat and you're satiated, you thank Hashem for all that He's given you. Immediately though it says, guard yourselves carefully lest you forget Hashem. Pentishkach, Hisham Pentishkach. And Pasuket it says, Pentochal Visavotan, notice the contract. Contrast. Lest you will eat and be satiated. Same thing as you'll have a nice house as well. Not only will you eat, not only will you be satiated, but you'll have a nice home, you'll have great flock, a lot of gold and silver, and you'll have a lot of material possessions. What happens? You'll become conceited in your heart. You'll forget Hashem. That took you through this great wilderness, a place of Simon of thirst. There was no water. You'll forget that at one time you were poor and you had no food and you had no water. A place of Simon of Hamachil Chomon Bamidbar that Hashem had to feed you man. You'll forget all about that. Hashem was challenging you and then you were poor. You'll say in your heart, It's my power, my strength. I did it all. I achieved my own. My prowess did it. No, remember God. He's the one that gives you power. He's the one that gave you the wealth. I think it's telling us a very important lesson psychologically. And that is, we know that there are no atheists in foxholes. When a person is hungry, when a person is lacking and he's missing, Ay, Hashem, ay, vey, I have no parnosa. It's natural when you're hungry to make a brach. After you've eaten and you're full and you're bloated, you're not interested in any of it. You don't want to hear about it. Benching is very hard for people. It's much easier to make a bracha and a prayer before. And, okay, I ate already. It's over and done with. I got to go back and think. It's not easy. I'll tell you from my own experience in one regard. I don't know if you all have the same kind of an experience or not. Invariably, every year, especially when you're out in the Midwest or in Detroit, Seder time, Pesach, you start it rather late. Because it's, you know, the times are a little bit later. And by the time you could get to the meals, it's like 11, 11.30. You didn't really eat during the day. As such, by not eating during the day, you're good and hungry. See, so starting with the Seder, famished. And after a while, you say a lot of tire. 
whatever it is, and it schleps and draws, someone will always invariably come. You know, let's save it for after the meal. Okay, good, good, very good. Let's go weiter, and we'll eat, and then we'll talk during the meal. We'll talk during the meal. After the meal, there's still a whole other part of the Seder. I don't know about the rest of you, but I can tell you about my own personal experience. We always go through this process. We say a lot of Torah before, but we always go through the process. Okay, we're getting a little anxious, a little hungry. We'll talk about after the meal, kids are tired, this, uh, we'll eat, we'll be here, relax, we'll talk, the rest of the Seder. Invariably, the end of Seder after you eat is rushed through. It's an express train till the end. You, all of your great promises before we're going to do it, and oh, we're going to talk and we're going to think. Where is it? There's no talking, and there's no discussion, and there's no conversation, there's no tire, there's no singing. This okay, you sing, you do it, you got to do it, but you know, you're anxious, you're antsy. You know, you finished eating, you're not interested. You're finished eating, you're not interested in talking to her, even though you made great pledges and promises before. You thought before, well, if I'm willing to do it now, certainly I'll do it after I eat. Just the opposite. When you're hungry, your mind is spiritually attuned, then you do it. After you've eaten, you're bloated, then you feel stuffed like a you've eaten the afikomen, uh, and you feel a little bit like a behemogasa. I mean, you feel like you're not interested anymore. You want to go to sleep, you want to, whatever it is, it's not done. The tendency of people is after they eat it, rather not bench. But that's when the danger comes in. That's when the danger comes in. Vayishman, Yeshur, and Vayivot. That's when you kick, when you get fat, you rebel. That's what the Pasuk really says. Before and you're going through the mud, and you're going through the desert, and you're being afflicted, and everything is okay. Hashem says there's a mitzvah, you're satiated? Now say thank you. Why? Because immediately you run into the problem. Immediately you run into the problem of Pantishkach. You're going to run right away into the problem of Verom Levavcho, Yisham Lecha Pantishkach, Pantochal Visavata, Uvatim Tovim. You'll have a lot of Verom Levavcho Vishachachta. You'll become haughty and conceited. You should remember now God is the one that provides. That's what benching is about. It's a reminder. So really, there's a double danger in prosperity. It's a klala. It's a klala. Because you're losing your table legs from the next world by getting it in this world. And it leads you off. I mean, the people that are having constant wealth and prosperity are the ones that have the problem in terms of the, the focus shifts. There's no question that when you're dealing with a lot of money and when you're dealing with a lot of business, the focus of your mind shifts from your spiritual pursuits to your material pursuits, to your trivial pursuits. That's what happens. You, you, you switch your focus. That's what he's referring to over here. So there's a double-edged danger in prosperity. You're getting it in the wrong place and it's leading you down the wrong path. Hashkifa. Our hashkafa should be one of hashkifa. We should have the hashkafa, the view about wealth and prosperity, as being hashkifa. It's a klala. It's a curse. That's the way we should be looking at it. Now we can understand the medrash in a different light. Elo. It's the fifth line in the second Ksav Seifer beginning of the line but let's say you do well with the money that Hashem gives you you're using it to support to support institutions to support learning Torah 
to do mitzvahs, to give the poor people. So then Hashem's wealth that He's giving you is in itself being utilized for something good which you couldn't have even done if you wouldn't have had it. You're now increasing your merit. Rather than wealth being something which is negative, hashkifa negative, it's actually allowing you to do much more good works with it than you would have if you wouldn't have had it. Your wealth in this world comes out beneficial to you. Not only is it beneficial to you that you enjoy life in this world more, that's how you merit the next world as well. So the tzedakah actually is bringing you closer. So it converts, it converts a potential problem and an evil which leads you down to your doom to rather it converts it to something promotes greater works. The Zesh Omar, Gedolot Tzedakah, Shemahapeches Mirolotova. How great is the power of Tzedakah that has the power to convert from bad to good. Not bad in the way, in the, our understanding of it. But wealth in itself is, in, is intrinsically bad. Tzedakah has the power to take prosperity and wealth which is inherently bad and makes it something good. It makes it a vehicle for something constructive rather than destructive. And this, of course, we know is a lesson in life in general. That everything that's given to us can be used for bad, can be used for good. Nuclear energy, of course, can power a city. It can power a city. It's good. Nuclear, nuclear energy, of course, depends if it's fission or fusion. Nuclear fission explodes. It's a bomb. It's terribly destructive. Extremely destructive, but it could also be very constructive. So Tzedakah has the power of converting nuclear fission wealth to nuclear fusion goodness. It's Mahapach Mirola Taiva. So therefore the Hashkifa begins Hashkifa, because if we're talking about wealth, we could only talk about it negatively. Because it starts off being negative, because it's, it takes away. As we saw earlier from the previous Gemara, you got to start worrying if things are going too good. So here we're making a prayer, asking Hashem to give us wealth. So it's hashkifa. If we're making a prayer to ask Hashem to give us wealth, that's bad. Hashkifa is bad, says the Chazal. But look at the power of tzedakah. That although hashkifa, our hashkofa, regarding wealth should be negative, it's bad. But gedolot tzedakah that takes that bad and converts it into something good. Beautiful pshat in the pasuk from the Ksav Seifer. The nearly the next part of the pasuk Baruch Sapa Yisroas Adama, as I was called with Vash Rashi says, what's he adding? He says by the end, Aval Piaroiv Einu Brachel Adam. Good things in in the majority of cases are are bad for people. Therefore, we say to Hashem, Asinu. That's the next part of Rashi. Asinu Mashegazarto Leinu. We did our part. Therefore, you Hashem, let it be as a blessing, but let it not take away from our Olam Habo. In other words, since we're doing good with it, let this be actually a blessing and it shouldn't deduct from our future. But, let's now add something to this at this point. Rashi says, Rashi says, really, we did our part, 
you do your part as you said if you walk in my statues I'll give you wealth and prosperity we just came from a parish of Bikurim what is Bikurim? one of the lessons that Bikurim teaches us is precisely this lesson itself why? I don't know how many of you uh, you go into a store the first dollar that they made they hang up on the wall. It's precious. They worked hard on it. They horrored on it. They finally got a business going the first dollar they put up. So it's, it's changed since, since those days because when I went into the Korean grocer, it's a $20 bill hanging there. It's inflation. Nobody puts up dollar bills anymore. The first dollar is the first 20. It's the first 20 they received. It's, it's changed since, uh, since your days, since my days. Now they put up $20 bills. A person horrors, struggles, you know what? I, I got to give my bikurim to the coin. I got to bring the bikurim up to the base of Mikdash. Let, let me enjoy the fruits of my labors, my first fruits. Let me enjoy it. Let me be with it. It's, it's mine. I did it. I'll give him the second, the third. I'll give him the other stuff. Got to give him the first. That's the verum The tendency to think that it's my prowess that earned me what it earned me is more prevalent by the Bikur. I worked, I struggled, finally the first fruits. That's what you're giving away. There's a discipline there. There's a discipline there where you're saying, you know what, it's not me. Hashem gave you the first fruits rather than saying, ah, let me enjoy, it's mine. You're saying, it's not my labor. Arami over here, by Yerdin Sarmin, you go through the whole history of the Jewish people, you say, Ay Hashem, these are the first fruits that you provided. Thank you, here they are. It's kind of a discipline. And that discipline then allows us to say to Hashem, you know what? We understand the gift of wealth and how to use it. Hashkifa. Yeah, it's basically it's bad. But you don't stop with it. Yeah, we use it for good. Okay. So, like right. that so that, that leads about the, what's that leads now to the next part that I'd like to now add to it. The, the question that's asked very often is then when it talks about the reward and punishment, all of the reward that's mentioned, and as well as the punishment of course, refers to this worldly matters, to material wealth. The question is asked, why doesn't the Torah say, hey, let's just get all the marble. In the next world, that's what there should be a focus on. Why is the Torah focusing on this world? Why is the reward in this world? There are seven basic answers to this in the different Rishonim. Seven different answers from different Rishonim could say about it. We will not go through the seven answers. But the Rambam's approach to the entire concept is one where we're not even actually dealing with reward and punishment. There's no way of evaluating a good deed and saying, okay, I'm going to reward you for it. In fact, it cheapens it when you think about it. You, know. mm-hmm. uh, you learn, I'll give you a lollipop. If you get your kids to learn for a lollipop, you've cheapened it. It's a reward for what they're doing. They're doing a mitzvah. You're giving them a lollipop. It's, it, it cheapens the whole mitzvah then. So you don't want the lollipop. So what? Why do you, you give them a lollipop? They're a kid. They don't know. You're motivating them. They view it as reward. You view it as motivation. In a way, Hashem has the same kind of a deal with us. He needs motivation. But it's more than that as well. You know, we talked before about investments. You invest some money with somebody. You give them $10,000. If he turns it into uh, 15, hey, he's a good broker. So 
he comes back to you and he says, hey, I made your 10 to 15. Give me another 10, I'll convert that into 20. Fine, so you give me another 10. You check them out and you test them. You give them a little bit, you give them a little more, and you give them a little more, and then finally he really messes you by the end. <laughs> okay, that's human beings now. But, but the truth is that's the way we, we, we do things. What happens if a guy says, here's $10,000, and he turns it into five? <laughs> that's a trick. Just give me another 10. Sure. Right. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? You're not going to give it to me. You don't trust him. Hashem gives us life, health, wealth to do things with it. If we produce and do good things, hey, here's more. If we do bad things with it, I'm going to keep giving you more stuff that you should do bad with it. Why? Since it's, it's counterproductive. But we all know that we all like to work in a pleasant work environment. Because, you know, hey, it's a business expense. You're going on a trip with the boss, so you go first class, and you go to the best lodging, and you go the rest of the... Put on the thing. It's a business expense. And usually if you're producing, then then the boss doesn't mind. Of course, we all know what will happen if you start going to the fanciest hotels and first class and Concord and everything else, and then you wind up with all the money gets squandered into the business expense. It's a business expense. That's it. He's not going to give you any more. I mean, I'm not giving you money to to just vacation. I'm giving you money to produce, to invest, to be able to do something productive with it, not to just vacation. Hashem put us in this world not to vacation. That's not why He made us. He didn't make us to vacation in this world. So He has to produce. Either we produce or we don't produce. We all know that when it comes to a work environment, people will produce better if there's a more conducive work environment. They, yeah, they, they, they try to pipe in the right music. They put a workout room over there. They make this big, glorious, magnificent, beautiful office. Nice desks and tables and overlooking the entire New Rochelle downtown district where you, know, you have a good view and then you have a workout room and a refrigerator and this and well, why do you do it? I mean, this is what you're working for to spend money on this? Is that what you're doing? I mean, you're earning all that money for what? You should be able to have a nice office to work more? Hey, you're doing it you should be able to build a nice house somewhere. That's why you're doing it. That's your home. But the office is there because it's conducive to production if you have a nice office. It's a work expense business expense that's says the Rambam is what Hashem is talking about over here if you do good I'll give you good so you can do more good it's very simple I I see that you're doing the right things you know what so you're going to need tranquility you're going to need peace you need prosperity you need wealth you need life you need health you need a comfortable existence in order that you should be able to do the things you're supposed to I mean, you're not going to do the things you're supposed to. You're going to verbal above You're going to you're vayivat. You're going to kick and rebel somewhere. I'm going to give you wealth so you should sit back and be over about the czar. I'm taking you to Eretz Yisrael and giving you everything so that you should now become comfortably um, entrenched and start worshiping idols. Forget it. Go to Golos. Go to Golos instead. Then says the Rambam. That's really what the psukim are all about. The psukim are not reward and punishment per se but the creation of a work environment which is conducive to spiritual work. And therefore, if you do the right things, Hashem will give you the things that you need for it. If you do the wrong things, Hashem will take it away. Take away your tranquility, your peace, going to Golas, ultimately your health, your wealth, all these things. Therefore, therefore we can understand now also why the prayer is appropriate at this point. But we're saying to Hashem, we did the Bikurim, we benched. We bench, we eat, we appreciate, we understand. We're doing a mitzvah with what you've given us. Give us more. So do more mitzvahs. So that's what really we're saying to Hashem. 
Asinu Masha Gozarto, says Rashi. We did what you commanded us. We gave away our precious first fruits and our miser. Now you could then logically and you could deservedly do what you promised us, which was that you said in Parshas Bukhukosai that if we do the mitzvahs, you'll give us wealth and prosperity. Because it makes sense. Because now that we've done what we have to do, you're going to increase the thing by giving us more. And therefore, look down, it converts it to good because although theoretically or, or, or it's inherently bad, but it becomes good because we're doing the right thing. So give us more of it. So now we can actually ask for more. <coughs> Comes now to the Ksav Seifer and with this he explains an interesting pshat in the last kasha that we had. What was the last question that we had? What does it mean? Basco comes out and says, Oh, there's 11 Nivrayor. You brought Bikurim this year? There's 11 Nivrayor next year. It's endless. You live forever. It says the Ksav Seifer, that's not pshat in the Pasuk, in the, in the Chazal. Let's take a look at the next if that's the case you'll get the same blessing every year you're going to wind up living forever every year you get a blessing to live another year from the Basco we're not talking about blessing from us this is a very simple explanation. Based on the Medrash that he explained earlier, and again, a very similar theme will explain this. You shall be blessed when you come, be blessed when you go. Says Hashem Chazal say, when you come with your merchandise and all of your endeavors, you should be blessed again wherever you do in your other endeavors. says the Ksav Saif, but there's a great inherent danger in this. A person does well, he may deteriorate. He deviates. It's a bracha from Hashem. When a bracha comes from Hashem, no kilkul, no no deterioration should come from it. A bracha of Hashem is a bracha. Bad things don't come out of a bracha. Hashem yishmor Hashem gives you that it should be a bracha, that it shouldn't turn to something bad. Therefore, after the person brings meiser, and he brings his bikurim, and now we come to Hashem and say, Hashem bless us with prosperity. There's a danger, danger that possibly this blessing can be can be something which can be bad, detrimental to our future. That's where the Basco comes in. Maybe next year I won't do the mitzvahs anymore. This year I have the wealth and the prosperity, I'm doing the mice, I'm doing the bikurim. But hey, you know what, with more wealth, I might stop bringing bikurim next year. I might stop bringing mice next year. Comes the, the, the Basco and gives you a bracha, that if it comes from Hashem, nothing bad should come out of it. If you brought it this year, Next year you shouldn't be any worse. You should still be a tzaddik if you live. The baskol is not that you will live. The baskol is that if you live, you'll still bring bikurim. This year you came to the shear. The brachas do well in business, but next you keep coming to the shear. Let it not turn into let the bracha not turn into a klala. 
You're coming now to a shear. You're coming to learn. All of a sudden, you're going to start saying that, hey, things are going good. Everything is wonderful. Prosperity. And now, that's where the Baskol's bracha has to come in. The bracha is come back next year and keep learning. Let not the prosperity lead you into something that's, that's detrimental to you spiritually. It's a very interesting pshat. The Baskol gives you a blessing. You brought Bikurim this year. Bring Bikurim next year. Not this year. Live this year. Live next year. You brought Bikurim this year. I'm going to give you a bracha which generally is bad. It converts it to something good. And therefore, it shouldn't be. The Basko says, If you live, and you shall do the mitzvahs next year like you did the mitzvahs this year. The truth is, so what then is the bracha that we pray for, that we daven for on Rosh Hashanah? That's really, in a nutshell, this is what it is. That's really, that's really the bracha that we pray for really on Rosh Hashanah. To focus on, I need the parnas and I need this hashkifa. Our hashkafa has to be, it's not necessarily good. In fact, our hashkafa has to be like in benching. On condition that we call like the Hafla says. That's why we may not always be answered. We might not always get the answer because we should be making the bracha in benching like the Hafla says. But we call On condition that it's going to be tov, we call to We don't want to lose it. We don't want to lose out from our Olam Haba. So we have to be careful when we daven that we're not davening for something that's detrimental for us, that we're going to wind up losing something more valuable. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, I remember the exact story right now, but the monkey's paw. You must, must have read a short story, mm-hmm. The Monkey's Paw. Was it O'Henry? I don't know, somebody or other. Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe, okay, what? Oh, okay, then we're both wrong. But what was the thing? You have, you, have, you have free gifts, a freebie, the genie comes out of the bottle. It says you got three wishes. And each wish makes us lose something else. You want this, but the important things of life you're losing on account of the wish that you made. So you're going to come to Rosh Hashanah and ask for a monkey's paw? For a genie? Of course, we all want, you know, the typical answer is one another hundred wishes. But, but you know, there's limit. There's limited, you know, facilities. There's limited... Uh, so what are you going to ask for? There's three table legs there. It's a limited amount. You know, we don't deserve that much. You ask here, you're losing there. You're asking for a table leg down here, you might be losing the table leg up there. So you got to be very careful what you're asking for. You want wealth? What about health? You want health? What? You don't know what's good for you, what's bad for you. So the number, first of all, we don't want to ask for something that's going to diminish from something more important. Secondly, we also have to appreciate the fact that when we ask for the things that we want, it might be detrimental to us spiritually. So you have both problems. You have the problem of the genie and the monkey's paw, where you don't really know what's good for you, what's bad for you, and by asking for something that you think is good, it might be bad that you'll regret later. And secondly, Hashem knows what's good for you anyway. The things that you think that are blessings may mess you up in life later on. So we have to be very careful what we're praying for, what the blessings are. So really, what are we ask, asking for is hashkifun We have to begin with the hashkafa 
that this stuff is dangerous. You're playing with nuclear fuel. But if we do it right, we wish every child he should come to this world and live a life of tranquility and peace and prosperity. We all know that in this world, most of the time, if you raise a child in today's generation with no suffering and no challenges, and he goes through life, everything is good, the Baruchat of Sechel is going to be a problem. Most kids now, if they live a life of Baruchat of are not going to live a life of Baruchat of Sechel. When they leave the world, they leave with a can of worms. They don't leave on a high note. In the overwhelming majority of, of situations, which is why it's not necessarily a realistic <coughs> expectation. But the ultimate blessing is, that's what we ask for, our, for ourselves, that's what we wish for children that are born, that's something which is what Bukhukosa is about when Mashiach comes, in the future, that's the final blessing. You're coming into this world with blessing. That you should have material goods, but it shouldn't endanger your spirituality as well. You should live a materially wealthy life and a spiritually enriched life. Both. You should have material wealth but spiritual riches as well. That's That's really what we pray for. Yes. This is a theme that we find in many, many psukim in Parshish Kisavon. Hayom This day, Hashem has commanded you to do the chukim and the mishpatim. Rashi right away comments on the words mean Hayom Hazah this day. A lesson. Each day the Torah should look new. The mitzvah should look new. As if you received the Torah that day and were commanded that day, you should feel a freshness and a renewal on a daily basis for the Torah and the mitzvah that you do. The Torah learning, the mitzvah that you do. All of it should feel new on that day. We have this pasuk again. Hashem this day made you Again Rashi says on this, uh, Rashi will, will come to Rashi shortly, but I just want to show you another place. Today, I'm commanding you. Here, Rashi doesn't make any comment on it. Then later on, and then you have, oh, and that's where we find it again. That's where Rashi talks about it again. But we've already had it a few times till that point. In Pasuk Tes, This day, you become a nation by God. And again, This day that I command you. So what was it? Was it this day that he commanded them? So they all comment. So one comment that we've seen already so far is that it should be like it's brand new. Here again Rashi says, you should renew the covenant on a daily basis. So, we understand it, and I don't think we're going to have time today to, to use that theme, of the freshness and the renewal. The idea that you have to have a sense of vitality and freshness. Maybe if we have time, we'll briefly talk about it. But there's another very interesting shot on this idea it changes it a little bit in a subtle way, but it's but it's a very um, important one to us as well. If you look on the left, Here 
He quotes the Medrash Tanchuma, which is almost identical with what Rashi says. Matamud Lomer Hayom, Elokachom or Moshe Yisrael B'Chol Yom Tehei Hatorah Chavivu Aleichem. The Torah should be precious by you. Kiilu Hayom Hazakibaltum Esamei Har Sinai, as if today you received it on Har Sinai. So he says it like this. Besides the obvious, which we all understand, which is that Torah shouldn't be like something old, something old that you don't care about anymore, but rather it should be fresh and vital and you approach it with enthusiasm. There's another very important lesson here, says Rabbi Chasm. He says, that in actuality, your obligation today, today's obligation, is different than yesterday's. You're on a different level. You have a whole new different set of obligations. And that's why it's new, because in actuality, it is new. You've grown. More is expected out of you. You know, I, I see it with my children. You can see that they're growing up over there, especially the little one. You know, I says, it's good to be seven years old. You don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, the other ones. But, but now already you can't do what you did when you were six. You can't come in the middle of the night into the bedroom anymore. And you can't suck your thumb like you did when you were five. You know, it's like it's a little rougher. As you grow and you get more responsibilities, you mature, more is expected out of you. And this is true with Torah and spirituality as well. Why should it be any different? You can't live and rest on your laurels. Therefore, Hayom, today is a new day. It's a new covenant. New responsibilities, new acceptance. So it's an interesting way of, of, of viewing it. The reason is because a person grows on a daily basis, at least he's supposed to. And therefore, just like your madrega changes constantly, what's demanded from you changes constantly as well. And therefore, what they expect of you today is not what we expected of you yesterday. We expect much more in learning, in spirituality, in ruchnis, and responsibility. <coughs> they bring down how upside you go every day the tshuva. But he said, now that I understand what I understand today, I was sinful yesterday. My madrega that I was on yesterday, I see that that's a sinful level to be on relative to what I am today. Now that I appreciate what I am today, he did tshuva every day for the levels that he was on the previous day. He wasn't on, on the right level. He feels, oh, that's the way I was. Yeah. He has to do tshuva on that. It's interesting. It's brought down in this form. The reason, it's one of the reasons why we light candles on Yom Kippur for the dead. Because it's called Yom Kippur. It really should be called Yom Kippur, which is what we call it. Yom Kippur means a day of atonements, plural. It's a day of Yom Kippur. It could have been Yom Kippur, day of atonement, Yom Kippur. So brought down in Swarm that it's an atonement for the living as well as the dead. Why do the dead need atonement? Whatever they have, they have. Parents, because each year they raise to another level on Yom Kippur. You're in a higher level. On this higher level that you were on in Olam Habo, all those previous things that we overlooked saying, okay, you know, not for a tzaddik like you now that you're on a higher level you need an atonement on the things that you previously didn't need an atonement so you need a constant atonement as you're raised to higher level so when the neshama has an aliyah based on the new aliyah it needs atonement on the past as well he brings down over here from the chayv salvavus in the next paragraph we're going to try going through this quickly call echad ve'echad each individual is judged according to his level and therefore, he brings down, and he's, uh, you have to be judged based on your capabilities, not on someone else's. 
He gives the example from Chazal, from Gamal, Shichano, according to the camel is the is the load. It was depending on the camel. Some camels you put a lesser load on. A camel that can take it, you put a bigger load on. On a human level, we know how true this point is. We know how everybody's different, and therefore we have different expectations from different people. No two people are alike externally, nor are they alike internally, and therefore we have different expectations from different people based on what their capabilities are. This is, of course, true in learning. We don't have the same expectations from different, uh, from different students. We could only expect from them what their capabilities are. We can't demand from them the same thing. Therefore, one has to realize that if in the areas of his avodas Hashem, or if a person does more mitzvahs, or learns more, or better, or davens more, and he's misgoyah, and he starts feeling a sense of complacency and satisfaction as to what he did, he has to check himself and scrutinize as to whether he did according to his capabilities. The fact that he'd done more than somebody else, just like in tzedakah, a wealthier person that gives a larger check than someone else, could he be misgoyah and feel good and proud about the fact that he gave more than someone else? He knows that more is expected of him. This should then be true with tefillah, with davening, with avoidus Hashem, with learning, with mitzvahs, that the fact that you do more than somebody else is not a right for complacency and for feeling this sense of gaiva and feeling a sense of satisfaction and that you did enough. We say in the Tefillah Rosh Hashanah Yad Kol Each man has his signature in that book. And just like everybody's signature is different than someone else's and your signature is unique to yourself so you have your contract that you have that you signed with Hashem and that's uh, your signature on it, not somebody else's. There's no forgery allowed with this. And just like you can't switch contracts and forge signatures, likewise, your obligations to Hashem, each person has different, you have your own contract with Hashem. We say furthermore in Davening, Hashem judges each person according to his deeds and his mission. That means Hashem takes into consideration your deeds, your misdeeds, as well as what your mission in life was supposed to be. Did you fulfill your mission? Are you fulfilling your obligations? Your mission, your own mission, your own job in life. And a person has to realize as he ages and as he matures, what's expected of him from his youth is different than what's expected of him from his maturity. And it's different than what's expected of him in his old age. Different phases in life has different requirements and different expectations. Different madregas. And as you grow and as you mature, you have greater obligations, greater responsibilities. Rebbeinu Yoyin says in Sharei Tshuva, not only does a person have to do tshuva for his misdeeds, but he has to do tshuva for missed opportunities for the missed opportunities in life and for the lack of accomplishment and the lack of good deeds that you could have done that you should have done and you didn't do for that you have to do tshuva as well and that sin says Rebbeinu Yoyna may be one of the greatest sins of all may be greater than the misdeeds that people do you have to do tshuva on your averas but for the lost opportunities and for the things that you could have done and that you should have done and you didn't do those lost opportunities are counted like very grave sins. We come back to the next Rosh Hashanah as we've come this Rosh Hashanah as the previous years. We have to realize that we have to have improved. We have to become better. 
And if we didn't, that's also something which we have to be concerned with. Not only with our Averis, but the fact that we're coming back the same as we came back before. This then is part of the Boruch HaTobavoecha, Boruch HaTobetzeisecha that we daven. This goes into the Baskol's Brocha. Hevesa Bikurim Hayom Tishana Lishana Habo. You've brought Bikurim this year, bring Bikurim next year. And not only do you have to bring Bikurim, but it's expected of you. Don't go down in Madregas, but you have to rise in Madrega. As the Vilnagon says, Arachaim Lamaila Lamaska Lamansur Mishal Mata, the way in life is either to go Maila Maila or Mata Mata. You either go up or you go down, but you never really stay the same. Life is a down escalator. You have to run in place to go up. If you just walk, you'll stay the same. If you do nothing, you automatically go down. Life schleps you down unless you run hard to go up. You gotta run up in order to avoid going down. And therefore, Tishana Lashana Haboa. You come back next year. It's expected of you. And now you're in a higher madrega. You got to steig. You got to go on a higher level. If you didn't, that's part of the cheshbon that's demanded from you. Says Zerbleim Chasman. Hayom Hashem Today is different. Today is different than yesterday. It's a new interpretation. In Bechol Yom Tiyabei Necho Chachadoshim. It's a new interpretation. Bechol Yom Teyator Chavivu Aleichem Kiyilu Hayom Azekibaltem Oso Mehar Sinai. The reason is because it's indeed true that today you received it. Today you received another Torah with new responsibilities.